Welcome to Homespun Wisdom, Talks with My Neighbour, with myself, Sarah Sharman, and Daniel Confino. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Not socially distanced. Na, 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 na. <laughs> and I'm not sounding like my piercing, bubbly self. Working from notes from my mother, who's been listening to this podcast for every single episode. But do you know what, Mum? This is me. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's got uh, all that off our chest. Well, here we are yet again for another podcast. Thank you for joining us. And yes, hopefully we've got something, some wisdom to share with you again. Yep. The topic being, Daniel? Kind of a motoring subject and we'll just explore various aspects of motoring buying cars all those road calming measures the history of motoring maybe a little bit sounds good yep fantastic i have been in the car market for a very long time i say that i've bought cars since 17 yeah, I think we talked on a previous podcast about one you bought that had lots of different coloured panels and we yes. called it the Harlequin car That's to give right. it a kind of a makeover so you could be proud of it. Yes, I'm Although so I do, glad you remember what yeah, we talk about. I do remember one side of it looked respectable and you used to park that side up if you wanted to impress yes. people. The other side round looked a bit more kind of makeshift, you know, That's panels it. from all over the place. But do you know what, Daniel? It was a comfortable car. Comfortable? Yes. Well, comfort is something that I want to explore in detail today. Yes. Can we do that? Can we start with that? Yeah, definitely. Well, I was thinking, you know, as dri- I was driving over here earlier mm. in my extremely stiff Golf R32. Thank you, Samuel, for taking out all the creature comforts. Uh-oh. Um, it really tells when you go over a speed bump, for instance. Right. Um, and I decided to, to think about the comfort of motoring over a historical perspective. Um, what it was like on the roads of old and what it's like today and it seems that we've sort of gone full circle so we've ended up today driving around all over, over all these speed bumps it, it feels a bit like we've gone back to the 12th century mm-hmm. you know in a, in a in an old wagon rattling along a rutted oh, cobbled yeah. road you know being shaken around like a bone shaker I'm hoping that the big wheel doesn't even, fall off and yeah. yeah even that's even what they called it but it, I mean I, I actually learned so much just doing a, a 10 minute a bit of research before we we started Okay. Um, Tell us what you found out. Well, you know, we watched Ben-Hur the other day. The other week, yes. The other week. And, and the reason for that is there's actually a bit of a family connection uh-huh. in that the the main female lead, uh, Haya, um, is actually the aunt of my sister-in-law. The aunt of your sister-in-law, okay. Um, and um, she unfortunately succumbed to covid um, during the period, and, and I thought of no better way of, of remembering homage. her and, and paying homage. And she used to hang out with the Brat Pack. She's got pictures of herself with with all the lead actors of the day and Frank Sinatra and people having, you know, elegant dinners in all sorts of places. And she never really recovered from those days in, in, in some ways. But um, it reminded me of that huge chariot race. And if any of you haven't seen Ben-Hur, mm. um, the chariot race scene 
apparently took how long to film? Uh, like six a month, weeks. Six weeks, and had incredible numbers of extras because they didn't have special effects, and it is the most amazing sequence. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to read you something here, okay. um, going a bit, a bit back into the history. So Egyptian chariots, 3,600-year-old chariots depict pharaohs and warriors proudly riding into battle on horse-drawn chariots, including spoked wheels, springs, shock absorbers, anti-roll bars, and a convex-shaped rear mirror leading to the comparison of design to the engineering standards of the 1930s-era Buicks. Obviously well ahead of their time. Wonder whether Ben Hur's chariot was as comfortable. They actually asked that question. We don't know that, but he won. Mm. Oh, God. Spoiler. Oh. Spoiler. Wow. What am I thinking? So, yeah, I, I took a bit of time to go back and, um, and look at how we developed the... What was the perfect ride until 1953, which was the advent of the first speed bump. Was it 1953? In America, yeah. It was okay. a Nobel Prize winner. What? Yeah, Arthur Compton. You can all say something rude about him now. And it didn't come over to Europe until 1970 when the Dutch, predictably the Dutch, came up with a, hmm. with a device in Delft, in the city of Delft. Yeah. Um, but so there was this... There was this golden period when, between sort of 1900 and the 1970s, when you you just had a luxurious ride. Yeah. And the French even developed some of these amazing suspension systems, like the hydroelastic suspension. Do you remember the old Citroens that used to rise up when you started the, oh, in the morning? Oh, I do. Yeah. And there was the other wonderful old DS. You know that beautiful car. I think it was one of the most beautiful cars ever built um, from the 1950s onwards. Mm. That uh, was just like you was just luxuriated in it. You sank into the seats, and then it had this amazing hydroelastic suspension system for going over French cobbles. You see, there's eat. a street in near Waterloo, I think Rupal Street, that has a few vintage Citroens, yeah. and they're very low. And I think the owner's got three or four of them parked up. Right. It's one of my favourite streets in London. Well, I mean, you can see actually that um, each of the car manufacturers has built cars for the roads that you know the locals would would have to suffer. So the Germans have extremely well tarmacked roads, autobahns, which they built, you know, starting in the 1930s. And you can get to the maximum of how fast on there? 120? No, I think there are some unrestricted roads in, in Germany. Oh. And they built all, built all these autobahns going east to the Polish border, you know, which no one thought was suspicious at the time. <laughs> um, anyway, so in Germany, they're very stiff, uh, the suspension, uh, whereas in France, with a lot of cobbled streets. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it a bit silly of the French, really, to put cobble streets in, because as soon as there was a revolution, the first thing anyone did was dig up the cobbles, and they're a perfect size for hurling at the other side, or the police, or whatever. Oh. You know, it's a cobble streets. I mean, it's just inviting revolution, really. Wow. You know, I think the Germans worked this out and put massive paving slabs in, which, you know, weren't so easy to, to dislodge. Anyway, so the French built cars that, that were sort of comfortable and springy, and the Germans built cars that were stiff. And fast. And fast and cornered better, probably, for the same reason. I mean, the Dechevaux as well, you know, that famous car used to rattle around on the cobbles beautifully. The wheels were just dancing around and the body of the car was unmoved. It was, it was an incredible thing. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, if you've never been over a speed bump in a Dechevaux, mm. you know, you haven't lived. But speed bumps come in yeah. various sizes. They do. There are, there are cushions where you can sort of line up or try and yes. avoid. And then there are complete humps. Yes, and they Across can be the quite wide, yeah. or you've got the the abrupt short ones. Yeah, 
which cause people to do all these strange manoeuvrings, don't they? They sort of drive out into the middle of the road to get their wheels either side of a of a hump and things. No, but these the short ones are the long ones that are a one thick bit of Oh yeah, yeah. And there's no avoidance. And they're very jarring, aren't they're they? They're very jarring. Yeah, as soon very... as you go over it <laughs> Yeah. And then you feel your back go. Apparently though they're they're a terrible idea because people break and then that produces brake dust, and then they have to accelerate, which wastes petrol. You know, it's, mm. it, apart from the fact it does actually slow you down. It slows you down, and it, sometimes can damage your car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then people scrape the, the spoilers and the low parts on their car. Even their sump, you know, the, the underside of the engine <clears throat> for the oil, which holds the oil, can, uh, can be knocked on these things. But look, before we get on to the terrible um, impact of speed bumps, let's just remind ourselves how we got to the perfect ride. Okay. Although the Egyptian chariot seems to have been pretty advanced, but somehow yeah. we forgot. I mean, I'm quite happy in any car, especially if it has heated seats. Heated seats, yes. Any type of day, <clears throat> put that heated seat on. Well, we, we might return to how you get to ride in the R32 of an evening, mm. uh, the five criteria we have. But, but look, um, continue. Let me, Tell so, me what you've got. So there, were, the, the leaf spring was the first improvement. So you, you can just have a fixed axle strapped to the body of a cart or something, and obviously it just rattles around with the wheels, mm. and that is quite uncomfortable. But you know, and the first improvement was what they call the leaf spring, so that the axle was actually held onto a long section of metal with different sizes. Um, which was which were bolted to the chassis, and so there was movement up and down. It, it wasn't great, mm. and it didn't provide independent suspension. It was just one axle could could move across the whole axle, whereas today every axle is independent. Um, then um, they got onto the coil spring, which is a um, well, you know, there are lots of coil springs which we use for everything, but I mean, this one for an automotive application was. Um, brought in around 1857 so towards the 18, beginning of the 1800s the leaf spring then the coil spring in the middle of the century um, then you get the shock absorber uh-huh. towards the end of the 1800s developed by a Frenchman called Truffaut oh. um, then you get the um, pneumatic tyre developed by Dunlop also mm-hmm. in the early part of the 1900s at the same time, funnily enough, as tarmac, the smooth road surface is perfected by a chap called Edgar Hooley. In what year? 1902. And the first road to be tarmacked was Radcliffe Road in Nottingham. Ah. So if you're listening and you are anywhere near Radcliffe Road, you can treat it with newfound respect. Wow, the first um, road. Yeah. So I think that those were all the components that went into making your ride absolutely luxurious. Yeah. And um, and it was and, and then we had that golden age of um, of driving on smooth tarmac with all these devices, um, which came to an abrupt end when there were too many cars going too fast and potholes developing. And potholes developing, and our, our hero, the Nobel Prize winner Arthur Compton, deciding to invent the, what was then called the speed control bump. Mm. Brought into Europe, as I said, shortly afterwards in the 1970s. I mean, I'd take a bump rather than a camera, a flash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, the, the effect of going over bumps is a bit like taking you back to, you know, as you say, the worst sort of roads. From, yeah. And it just, just strikes me as odd that, you, you know, the, 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 we, we go through this perfection 
and then we want to go back to something else. It's a bit like um, going back to vinyl records after having gone to mm. digital perfection, which everyone hates. Yeah. Because it's got no quirks or atmosphere or nuances. That's it. Or ticks. I know this isn't a speed bump, but in Northamptonshire, where I'm from, I may not have mentioned that before, uh, there is, in one of the villages, a nice bridge, a humped bridge. And you should take it quite slowly, but my brothers and maybe sometimes my dad would like to get their speed up to go over it to see if they could lift the wheels oh yeah but the main thing that got lifted when going over at such speed was the feeling of your stomach coming yeah. up to your throat so but that, that wait, was fun. you go weightless for a minute yes yeah it's quite exhilarating i don't mind a, a humped bridge but speed bumps Mm-mm. Especially, have you ever been on the back of the bus? Probably you haven't. And they go over a speed bump at quite a speed. It's not comfortable at all. Right. Well, there, there is. So maybe we should move on to discussing the technique for going over a speed bump. Okay. Because a lot of people don't understand this. Yeah. And it, it's to do with the the the, gyre, the. Let me get this right. The forces being thrust forwards and backwards. So when you brake a car, uh-huh. it pushes the front down. The weight goes down on the front, yeah. putting pressure down on the front wheels. And when you accelerate, it lifts up the front, okay. making the front front wheels more much more light. I see. So basically, the technique you should adopt when going over a speed bump, and many people get this wrong, is they're still braking uh-huh. as they hit the bump. Mm. Now, if you're still braking when you hit the bump, you are forcing the front down. So you're exaggerating the effect. And that's when they scuff their bump. Yeah, and that's when they scuff. So what you should do is you should brake to, obviously, if you need to reduce your speed, as you approach, get very close to the bump. Yes. But counterintuitively, as you approach the bump, you should just give it a light touch on the gas to lift the front up. Mm. And that clears the bump with less movement, disturbance. That's how the I do it. Yeah. But then also... There are roads that I'm very familiar with back at home, and you know each and every speed bump. Not all of them are the same. No. But you um, can keep going at a steady speed without slowing down. And sometimes you go over to the left, sometimes you target in between two of the bumps if it's a, if there's traffic going both ways. Or sometimes you just take it with the wheels strategically placed either side. You don't want to go one slightly over the other yeah but uh it just becomes a bit of a an obstacle course going yeah. through and then the problem is you're concentrating on that whilst not looking at the oncoming car doing the, the opposite maneuver and you might meet in the middle of the road oh no it. i'm a very observant driver oh yeah no but they they, they do have the, this hazard attached to them there yes i think is. some of them appear to be higher than the others because when they dig them into the road mm. i think it costs ten thousand pounds to put in a speed bump just to what? shock you yeah the cost of a speed bump is about £10,000. Um, when they put them in, they dig out the road and then they don't give it proper foundations. So what happens is the road starts to sink oh. and that exaggerates the height of the speed bump. So it actually becomes worse with time. And of course, what they do is, you know, and we had this round here in Broccoli, is there's one bunch of residents complain about the speed. Mm. So they put in speed bumps there. They actually have some sort of very unpleasant index where if there's a certain number of accidents or a certain number of fatalities in a given period they have to do road calming measures and um but if they put them in one place yeah then everyone starts going down the next street 
Yeah. So in the four lovely streets here in the conservation area, they started with um, Wickham. And then because everyone stopped going down Wickham, started coming down Breakspears, Tresillion and Tyrrett, they ended up putting them in all of the streets. And they only put them in, they only put them in, um, in Wickham because they put a mini roundabout in. I see. And um, they had to put in a, a, a device to slow you down to get to the roundabout for some reason, which meant they ended up putting them right down the whole of Wickham. Uh, and because they put them right down Wickham, they were in Breakspears, and you know, so and, and gradually they proliferated. So pretty much anywhere you go now, off the main road, on a side street, it's just a series of, of horrible bumps. And it makes the right. I mean, I actually, if you drive for any great length of time mm. through London on those roads, you feel sick. It does actually make you want to just go back on the main road. So to some extent, yeah. it I works. remember being in a, a taxi, a hired car. And I was late coming into London, so I wanted to just be dropped off door to door. But I could feel as my eyes were closed in the back of the car, lots of speed bumps. I was like, this is disturbing my nap. Yeah. Why? And I know the journey from King's Cross to Lewisham. I know which roads he should have taken. And for some reason, he was taking me through all the back streets, giving me an uncomfortable ride whilst I was very tired and wanting to sleep. So I woke up. And I asked him, why are we going down the back streets with all these speed bumps? He didn't really know where he was going. He was taking me out to Blackwall to then come back. Yeah, you see, I think the other Just... villain in all this is are these um, navigation devices like Waze. Oh, yes, yeah. Because if they see a chance to shave half a minute off your journey by sending you on a dog leg mm. down some little road and back up another to connect to the road you were on, they'll do it. I know, and, and for people that have no idea where they're going, they have to follow Waze. Yes. Because otherwise they get lost. And what Waze doesn't know is that when you go down this narrow street, you're going to meet an oncoming vehicle and not be able to pass. That's going to take out any advantage you have. And there must be people driven absolutely spare by mm. the number of cars now being pushed down some road that no one knew about yeah. until Waze or other navigational devices are available like google maps probably yeah but i think um, it's just ways that and um, and it keeps finding the you know, so you, you were living in a nice quiet street at the back of somewhere and, and suddenly you're a main thoroughfare mm. i mean I, I i found that when i was trying to get uh, through the blackwall tunnel the other day and it took me on this amazing route um to get to connect onto the traffic going into the tunnel that i would never have dreamed of but i looked at one road if and everyone was doing the same manoeuvre, going down this road. Or, and, you know, there were speed bumps, but, yeah, so you get all that noise living there, people slowing down, the brake dust, speeding up, acceleration, clanking, clanking, clanking. I mean, <laughs> it's a nightmare, all this. You know, the modern world has become, you know, just step back for a minute, guys. You know, what have we done? What have we what done? What have we done? I mean, but there we... are new restrictions coming in to play in London, isn't there? They're extending yeah. the ULES. The ULES, yes. So no one will be driving anyhow. They'll no. be walking and cycling. No, They'll I'm... have to get a good saddle for their bikes to make it a comfortable ride. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, in a way, that's quite good. It's I mean, very good, some yeah. of that. And, and but yeah, you know, I think um, I think the way that, apparently the technology. I used to advise a company that made the accelerator pedal for Mercedes. Right. I went to visit their factory in Germany, even, oh. and they told me, and this was maybe ten years ago that the technology already exists, that if you're driving down the road here, mm -mm. they can, by some device or other, which the car will recognise, disable the speed, um, or force you to go at a maximum speed. So if you can only do 20 miles an hour out here in, 
in the road. Yeah. They already have the technology that effectively takes over your car mm. and limits the speed in that road to 20 miles an hour. They can just do it with, with electronics. That's the, great, because they, people do not come down no, this but they, road. But they don't use it. That's they don't point. use it. I mean, instead, of, instead of using that, they put in 10,000-pound speed bumps every 100 metres or whatever That's just and, dumb. And, and, and make us feel like we're in the 12th century again. That's so dumb. And they're spending £10,000 on each speed bump and then they're trying to collect money with speed cameras. Yeah. Probably I mean, repay it all. So, and how much that... is a speed camera to install? Why have you not looked that up, Daniel? You um, come here with all your facts and you didn't even get me a figure for a speed camera. <laughs> I must admit, I, I've got this great cheat method uh, on the average speed. Right. Um, maybe I shouldn't be advertising this, but... Basically, they have the you know, the yellow cameras you see on the motorways, mm. and they have them on the side of the motorway. Yeah. And if you drive in the shadow of a large truck, you know, especially a bit forward, so you're actually in the shadow, the camera shadow, as I would call it, of the truck. Mm. So I played this game, and it's absolutely terrifying. Oh, no. <laughs> where you drive much faster than you should, but when you see a yellow camera, you have to get into the shadow of a truck as you pass it. And you have to keep doing that because they measure you at every camera. So you can't just sort of cheat for one. Once you're once you're traveling too fast, you've got to find a or, <laughs> or stay stay with a truck all the way through. And some of these things are ten miles. There was one on the M1 the other day, which was so long, and I was just you know I had to do some rather interesting maneuvers to catch up with a truck on one occasion to get in its shadow just in time for the for the yellow camera. Otherwise, I'd have been fine. You know, definitely. Okay. Should I be admitting this on? On I mean, radio. it's a good tip if you are in a like trying yeah. to get somewhere urgently. And you, yeah, you just you have, just need to cheat a few of those cameras. Just just get in, get 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 tucked in nice and close to a truck, a little bit forward because they can. Forward. Otherwise, they'll see the back of you. You know, you need to be. Yes. You can imagine how you. you but my dad always advised, don't drive next to a lorry, and there you are trying to hide. Well, only only next. till I get past, then it's off to the next. You know, I, I'm off to the, the next truck. The truck next driver. one. <laughs> just, just like those girls who hang out at truck stops. You know, they're off with the first truck driver, aren't they? Well, I'm you know I'm doing the same sort of thing, but you know, slightly different approach. I see. Okay. Um, and there's no moral hazard. So you took a trip up the M1 the other week. Yeah. How did you prepare for your journey? <laughs> well, I filled the car up with petrol. Did you I check mean, your windscreen? Oh, I see. Yeah, did, you... did I? Yeah, you, you give the tyres a kick. That's the, the traditional thing. You go around the car. Right. And give the tyres a kick. And if you don't break your toe? Well, it's just, you know, if they if the tyre yields too much, you know, it's, it sort of needs a bit of pressure in it. Okay. Also, the other thing about kicking it is, if, you know, something might fall off, I guess. Or fall uh, down. Or, yeah, you know, it's just, I mean, tyre kickers. You know, But tyre kickers is a name they give people who waste your time, aren't they? They're not really interested in buying. Uh, they just come around and kick the tyres. You know, oh, he's a tyre kicker, she's a tyre kicker. You know, meaning not genuine, not serious, just, you know, messing you around, wasting your time. Oh. Um, and that's, yeah, tyre kickers. So for some reason. What do they do before pneumatic tyres? What do they call them then? You know, before 1902... What would tire kickers call? <laughs> all right. Wheel spinners, surely. <laughs> we'll never know. But you know the um, the road construction business. Yes. I mean, the Romans are famous for building very straight, long roads, aren't they? Yes. I think we have a family friend whose job is to like design and lay out, look at after the management of new roads and yeah cycle paths of course these like days that. they have to dodge around villages and mm. you know the romans wouldn't have been so squeamish that they just said we're going straight and you know your village is in the way 
Yeah. And for, for readers of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, you may remember that the, um, the opening book starts off with Arthur Dent lying down in front of the bulldozers because his house is about to be cleared for a road scheme, compulsorily purchased his house. What he doesn't realise is another level up in the cosmic sense, Earth has been put down to be destroyed because it's in the way of a supergalactic highway. So Arthur, Dent, <laughs> Arthur Dent is lying down in front of the bulldozers in front of his house, but forget that. Earth is about to be destroyed because it's in the way of the next supergalactic highway. Yeah. Um, can I tell you a little aside on all this? Yeah. You know, I complained a lot. I mean, do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, gosh. One of the things you, that I do is when, when you bring up a company and you want to complain, they always want you to ring the 08. 44 yeah. customer helpline number. Well, I never do that. Yeah. I, I go straight for the chief executive or the chairman's office. Um, and of course, you get asked politely, and you know, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Now, if at that point you just say, oh, it's just me, Daniel Confino, they're going to give you the 844 number. So, what I always say when they ask me um, where I'm calling from is I always say I'm calling from intergalactic amalgamated enterprises. Which sounds incredibly impressive, doesn't it? Yes. Intergalactic amalgamated enterprise. And I've actually heard people trying to sort of muffle the phone and say, well, where did he say he was from? I don't know, but it sounded important. <laughs> so tell our listeners once more, this is your wisdom yeah. here. When asked, you know, you're, but you asked your name, give your name. Where are you calling from? Don't say, well, it's just me. You know, <laughs> say intergalactic amalgamated enterprises. Amalgamated enterprises. I mean, it's the kind of name that you never need to change if you change what you do. You know, it's got everything covered, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever, whatever you can think of, you can have a hairdressing salon, you know, or you can have a butcher shop. I mean, you know, or you can you can build cars. I mean, it's all fine, you know, and yeah. it all fits quite happily. And, and eventually, they give you the best service. Well, eventually when Google, Amazon, Facebook and whatever get together... <laughs> With all their interest in space, don't they? They all have an interest in space. Right. I mean, maybe Bezos do, yeah. should just register now. Mm. You know, Jeff Bezos, he's the yep, founder of Amazon. Well, you know, but oh, you know, the listeners I'm, I'm happy to think there's several <laughs> thousand people out there that might not know, including the ones in Malaysia, Egypt, and, you know, Jamaica and Portugal and whatever. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it seems to me, and with Branson as well, that, that, that really that space is the next uh, frontier. So maybe... Fingers on the fingers on the buttons, guys. First one to register intergalactic amalgamated enterprises dot com will win. Boom. Boom. Bezos, get on with it. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so should we get back on track? So yeah, the straight roads. I mean the Romans built very straight roads. I think the straightest, longest road in the UK is Watling Street. Funnily enough, you know we were talking about the hairdresser. Mm. Well, my hairdresser was on Watling Street. Oh really? Yeah. The longest motorway or dual carriageway, whatever it is, is the A1. The A1. Well, that's probably the old Roman road. Yeah. Because funny enough, in France, it's the N1, the road leading down to Paris. If you want to get to Paris quickly, you go on the new motorway. But if you want to go on the old Roman road, the N1, Route National 1, RN1, that's the straight, very lovely Roman road that goes through Amiens. Yes, the A1, the longest numbered road in the UK at 410 miles. Yeah, but it's Roman, isn't it? Does it say it's Roman originally? Uh, I'll let you look at that. Uh, 
My well, chair's a bit London. My chair's a bit capsule. squeaky. Do you think? That's I know it is squeaky, but you yeah. know what? Deal with it. It's fine. Well, sorry. If Until you're hearing, the next episode, you, you're, you're, you're on hearing, that If you're hearing one. squeaks, I don't have some sort of you know, <laughs> twitchy problem. It's just this chair. I mean, it's, yes, look at that. All the way up to Scotland, the A1 from London. Yeah. And it was built by the Romans. Let's just go with that history. I mean, you know, we get so much wrong. Who cares? We can just add something to it. Roads created by the Romans. It is a fact. Well, the funny During thing is the that... period from AD 43 to AD 410. And it's 410 miles long, isn't it? Mm, <laughs> spooky stuff. So, yeah. Right. It's quite a nice road if anyone wants to take a trip on it. Yes, well, there you are. They, I mean, they, somebody should do a little... Um, you know, driving guide to the A1 with all the details of what Maybe you Maybe we could stop. do a new show and it'll be podcast on the go. <clears throat> we get into Dolly, which is the lovely 1970 camper van. Mm. Which get we have all thought... the snacks and supplies. Yeah. If you're on a road trip, it's necessary. We have thought of podcasting from Dolly. We have, but this is tips for the for yeah. comfort in the road. So when you go on a road trip, you must have snacks. Yeah. I went over to France last summer... Oh, really? Yes, I did. <laughs> I went with my housemate, and he hadn't thought of packing snacks for the journey. I don't go anywhere without food. There's always a cereal bar or something in my backpack, a squashed up chocolate bar. But uh, as he was getting peckish en route, I just pulled out my packets of nuts and started nibbling on them. And he looked surprised. Where do you get food from, Sarah? Like, I've got a whole bag full of food here. Especially survival, isn't it? If you were yep. to break down somewhere, there's no service station. You could yep. be there for days. I mean, there, there would have been times years. when you'd have been laughing, like you know, in the snow. Yes. <clears throat> and if you don't have a full tank of petrol, that's the only way you can keep warm in a car. You know, mm. by burning fuel and putting the heating up. Yes. Tell me about the heated seat business, though. You, you mentioned that earlier. What, what's, what's what's the gig there? I don't know. It just feels so therapeutic. See, I asked you a long time ago when you were looking for a suitable love interest about cars and things. Mm. Um, you never mentioned the heated seats there. So, I mean, I, I can quite I mean, imagine... if you've got heated seats, I'm sold to you. Like... Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, so guy, guys, when you're buying a car, that is a worthwhile option. I think this is what Sarah said. But the says. first time, I don't know whether you've heard this story before, the first time I sat on the seat with heating in it, I wasn't aware that the person driving had put the heated seats on and somehow I thought I'd wet myself <laughs> because it was feeling warm and I was like I didn't feel anything happen yeah. but it's uncomfortably warm it was only uncomfortable at the time because as I said I thought I'd wet myself and then I plucked up the courage to ask why the seat's so warm and they explained so now generally when I get in any car I'm like oh do you have heated seats yeah, well, you've learned how to deal with your own heated seat requirements. Yes, I can just switch that one now myself. I mean, I personally, it's not a good idea for the chaps because it reduces the potency of your of your sperm. Mm. Um, you know, it's not a good idea to put those seats on hot if you are planning to add to your family. Okay, top tip there, guys. On the other hand, if you're not looking to add to your family, it might be a, yeah. a natural prophylactic of some but sort. But if you've got backache... Yeah. Oh, don't they have Type massage chairs now and all sorts? Probably in the I've not yet been cars. in a car with that. Does that come not as standard? No, theory, no, no, no. But I'm sure added you know, extra, I'm, I'm but sure is it built into the... Yes, I think it's built into the seat. I, I've never had one. I, I believe you can get mm. them, though. 
I mean, they're always looking for stupid things to do with cars that, you know, I mean, do, do you remember? I mean, a strategically placed cup holder is absolutely winning. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you remember the original Mini, the right. first generation Mini, not the thing that BMW done to it. Yeah. Was developed by Sir Alec Isigonis. Okay. Isigonis. And he was extremely puritanical. If you look at the first generation Mini, it didn't have handles. It just had a like, like a, a plastic thing draped inside the door, which you grabbed to pull the door shut. He didn't even put a heater in the car. Can you believe that? To demess the windscreen or anything. There was no heater. No it just heater. had that one Speedo, which is it's famous for, the iconic Speedo in the middle, right? Yeah. And apart from that, had virtually nothing. And uh, uh, gradually, bits and pieces, Isagonis was... Um, you know, was persuaded that people maybe did need a heater. You know, he, he would probably just put on another coat or another jumper or driving gloves or or something. He probably dressed as if it was outdoors. Yeah, it is very um, nostalgic thinking of those earlier cars that you do look in the window or maybe those listening remember owning a car with a very bare dashboard and yeah, you know, a metal dash as they call it. Yeah. You get one of those in in in. Camper vans and, and BWs. Radio's always been a thing in cars or... Yeah. I mean, they were always a nice thing to look at, you know, mm. nice chrome things. Unless someone's stolen it. Big before dials, Because they could yeah. just easily... Yeah, yeah, I know. That was a, a whole business, wasn't it? It was. Having your window broken so they could steal your cassette player and, oh, God. Did that ever happen to you? Yeah, yeah. But I ended up buying one of those ones where you take off the face. Oh, yes. Know? And so you don't have to take the whole goddamn thing around with you. And they could see it was not useful to break the window yeah but i'm sure they broke the window sometimes just because the grudge factor yeah the perils of uh, of motoring yeah. well i mean they have made cars this is the thing is they, they poured all this effort into making cars more comfortable you know the heated mm. seats and all these all these incredible suspension devices and um and then you drive on those roads you know yeah they never they never show in the adverts do they that you're going over speed bumps. It's always something. No, like, because they always choose a lovely road, yeah, like probably country in Austria lane where you or can, somewhere, and yeah. it's smooth. And you can see into the distance. It's going through a lovely valley, yeah. and you can imagine the joys of motoring. And you know the yeah. reality of motoring is there's no fallen wheelie bin in the way, or as yeah. you said, a pothole. Or and the more expensive the car, the more trouble they generally have with potholes and uh, and speed bumps because they don't have the flex mm. to go over them. They're so tightly sprung and uh, yes. I had a mini once and it had low profile wheels and I think within a few days of having it a pothole got me and my wheels were well, it just went flat. Yeah, well Samuel actually got money from the pothole person, one of the utilities in other words, um, for damage that was caused to one of his alloy wheels. Mm. So it's worth um if that if does only happen I'd to you. Known you then. Yes, yeah, so if that does happen, listen everyone, if that happens put in a claim. Put in a claim. To the utility company. So you don't go to the council first? No. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I think there has to be a registration of the pothole. So the, the, the claim has to be 24 hours or more after the pothole was originally notified. Right. So if some nice person has taken the trouble to notify, yeah. maybe they suffered the... Do you remember we discussed roadkill? The first person can't take the kill. Yeah. The second person can. It's a bit like that with potholes. <sighs> the first person has to suffer the damage because... The utility company wasn't aware, but if if you notify the utility company or the council or whatever, then it's on record, and the second person, you know, a day later, can claim. I mean, ah. I don't really believe people are that chivalrous that they'll do it, but you never know. Mm. 
Yeah. In fact, I had a, an interesting result. I actually contacted my MP. Yes. Um, for Greenwich. Okay. And he is absolutely brilliant. Uh, I was having an argument with one of the national rail contractors that had damaged the Honda on the way down to the Greenwich station, and they weren't being at all helpful. But I got hold of my MP, and he's got some very senior person trying to get hold of me now. Wow. So, yeah, you don't, don't you know, I mean, you, you've got a member of parliament rattle their cage from time yes. to time. They are, and Matthew Pennycook is absolutely unbelievable. Other MPs are not available in Greenwich. <laughs> uh, and I don't want them to be either because I love him. <laughs> so it's kind of like where there's blame, there's a claim. If there's a complaint, yeah. shame. Will that rhyme work? Where there's a complaint. I think you have to work on that, Sarah. Right and shame. Yeah, yeah. right to them and shame. I think that will do. So any anything that is not quite right, notify people. I had a bit of a rage moment against my insurer the other day. Okay. Because after this incident caused by a National Rail contractor, which when the car was parked and nothing to do with me, when I rang to renew my insurance, they said, have you made any claims? And I said, well, yes, that one. And they said, oh, that's a fault claim. And I said, no, it's not a fault claim. My car was parked and some idiot bashed into it and they wouldn't accept liability because I didn't have the camera to prove they did it. But they, they still claim that's a fault. They still say that's a fault claim as though I'm a more dangerous driver and they have to charge me more because... So what different types of claims are there? So no fault is when somebody else pays. Right. So when they, they use the word fault when they actually mean pay. So it's no fault if somebody else pays. It's fault if they pay, even if it's for something that you had nothing to do with. So you are deemed a more risky driver and therefore they have to charge you more money for your premium because your car was bashed into whilst it was parked properly in the street. I mean, these insurance companies really need their asses kicking mm. and I'm giving it them Good. a kicking. Good. Are you, are you indicating we're running out of time? We so. are running out of time because we like to keep our, our customers attentively yeah. listening. Okay. Well. And I think we're... Uh, have we got... Everything that we well, wanted I, to I, say out? I think um, we did. You know, um, hopefully you, the, the practical wisdom here is, is how to negotiate speed bumps. And the one thing I would leave you with is don't brake as you're going over the speed bump. Do your braking first and give it a little bit of light gas to lift the front end up as you go over. In fact, one thing that's interesting is we're talking into a microphone mm. is, you know, the company Bose. Yes. The guy, the inventor behind Bose, who's made a lot of money from his headphones and sound yep. cancelling. He, um, he invented a, a type of shock absorber that travels a great distance before it really meets resistance, designed to go over speed bumps. So he actually designed a shock absorber to allow you to go over speed bumps without slowing down, so that the, the wheel can travel a long way before it affects the body of the car. Amazing. So it's got much more travel than usual, and the first bit of the travel... Mm. Is, is doesn't affect the, the, the car at all. So I don't know what happened to that, um, but there we are. There's hope that maybe we'll get back to a ride, something like the 1950s yeah. before long. Maybe. Well, so we've got Daniel's wisdom there, and my top tip is always carry snacks on the road trip. <laughs> Until another podcast, we're going to say bye for now. Bye. <laughs>